and welcome to the Well Read Podcast, a bi-weekly discussion on books and reading. I'm Hallie. And I'm Anne. And we are librarians at the Beaufort County Library in South Carolina. This week we are going to be discussing books that take you all over the world without leaving home. Uh, we're talking about armchair travel books, which yes. is appropriate for this time of the year since I'm jealous of all these spring breakers that are getting to go somewhere and I'm here, which isn't so bad. It's beautiful here. but This is the worst part of being an adult. Is yeah. That- <laughs> I mean, there's some other things too, but this is one of the worst things about being an adult is that you, no everyone break. else gets to go on spring break and you're yeah. sitting at work. Yes. Uh. <sighs> <laughs> All right. So what what do you consider armchair travel to be? Um, well, I think when we were talking about this episode, I had sort of been thinking any place that has a good or any book that has a good sense of place. Mm-hmm. So that could be fiction that takes you somewhere. And then we talked about it and you were thinking, oh, we'll do that as an extra episode, yes. which... <laughs> So it's great as many episodes as we can get out of this thing. Then I'll go for that. So, um, so we amended it a little bit, and I still have a fiction book, but the books I picked were all outsiders coming into a new culture, and so that was. I sort of wanted to look at tourism a little mm-hmm. bit versus just having a book that's set in a location where where the author does a really good job of of describing it and making mm-hmm. you feel like you're there. I wanted to have that experience of being new and seeing Mm -hmm. something for the first time and and sort of that excitement of discovering a place for yourself Mm -hmm. so how about you yeah like like you just mentioned i i did stick with all nonfiction Mm -hmm. books uh although i did originally have fiction in mind but then once we talked about it and i started coming up with all these novels and i thought well maybe we should do that as something separate where you get such a strong sense of place in a book that isn't necessarily that's not the point whereas the, the books that i chose that that's kind of the the point of the whole book is right. that you're supposed to read it and get something out of the fact that it's a different place. And I think that for me, there's no way I'm ever going to be able to travel to every single place in the world, much like every other person With in, your the library in the world. salary? Come on, <laughs> no, you can definitely salary. do that. Yeah. Uh, so it, it's a good opportunity, just like I think reading is in general a good opportunity to experience things that you could never experience in person. Right. Uh, I place a way to travel all over without ever leaving little Hilton Head Island. Oh, it's tender. (laughs) (laughs) So do you, do you read uh, like guidebooks for fun or do you ever peruse them just, just for? Not really. really? The only ones that I've ever done that are Rick Steves. Yes, I have Rick Steves written down. Yes. (laughs) He's the greatest. He's great. And his books are entertaining. So, but mostly that's just kind of skimming them in the library. When we get a new one in, I flip through it and Mm -hmm. kind of look at his what he says and his little asides and yeah. commentary about places. Um, but no, do you? Do you look through guidebooks? Um, not for necessarily fun? guidebooks, but I really like his podcast and I really like oh, I his, yes, many. I, I think it's maybe a radio show originally oh. and now it's on podcast form. Um, but then I also really, really like his PBS show. Yes. And so those will, will make me start writing things down. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like it's sort of the same idea of looking through a guidebook where I'm, I'm just collecting these places in my head that I want to go to. So I don't think there's anyone better than Rick Steves. No, he's, he's amazing. The greatest. Yeah, he does a great job in making making it accessible to people. Mm. So maybe this should be our Rick Steves fan podcast. Because <laughs> <laughs> I could talk about him for a long time, and I have talked about him for a long time. 
Uh, all right, so actually we don't have any Rick Steves on our list. Do you want to give me your first example of an arms yes. travel book? Okay, so my first book is called Turkish Reflections, A Biography of a Place by Mary Lee Settle. This was written by an American fiction author who actually won the National Book Award in uh, 1978 for a book called Blood Tie, and she was one of the founder of the Penn Faulkner Award. Mm-hmm. I knew zero of this information. I just knew her from this book, so I thought, I've shame never, on me. I have never heard of her. Yeah, she's written a bunch when I looked her up. That's but, cool. Um, died a few years ago so more like 70s and Mm -hmm. 60s um, era uh, as her writing career so this actually was written in 1991 and I'm sure many things have changed in Turkey since then but I sort of think it's interesting to read about a place as it was and one of the themes of the book is um, recovering lost memories of a place so it seemed kind of fitting to to read this um, with that in mind her experience with Turkey started in uh, the early 70s when she lived in Bodrum, Turkey. I don't know how you pronounce words in Turkish, so I'm sorry if I'm butchering things. She'd been living in Greece on a nearby island to Turkey. It was only about five miles off the coast of, of Turkey, and she had been writing a book there. And I think she was living at the house of a friend or something and was just trying to get some time away from her real life so she could work on this book. And she had this kind of bizarre run-in with teen thugs on the island, and just decided she was done with the place and she was going to move to Turkey instead to write this book. So she she crossed over, the she took a ferry over mm-hmm. to, to Turkey and was immediately accepted and loved there and just completely fell in love with it. So she she just had this this really deep affection for the people there and for the history that she found. And it's, it's actually the town where, um, I'm not going to remember the name of it, but the mausoleum that was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world oh. was there. And so, so they have the ruins of that and just all these incredible Greek and, and pre-Greek ruins. Uh, and Turkey itself is this weird mix of Europe and Asia and the Middle East. And it's just its own thing because of it, because of its location. And so um, she spent two years exploring this town and, and really loved it there. And then 20 years later, she decided that she wanted to go back to Turkey and see if it was how she remembered it and to actually travel to other parts of the country since she had really just concentrated on this one corner. Bodrum is in the extreme southwest corner of the country. So um, there are lots and lots of areas that she had never been to. So she begins in Istanbul and she moves throughout the country and she visits both cities and villages. And she eventually ends back up at Bodrum to see how much it's changed. And she has this intense love of Turkish history and how this relatively small corner of the world has been fought over and conquered and reestablished itself as its own nation. It just is, is really a fascinating area to visit. So when you're reading it, she doesn't really assume very much knowledge. She'll talk about a location in Istanbul and she'll assume that you know what it is. So there were so many things I had to look up, which is great for me because I like research. And so I wasn't you know, disappointed by doing that at all. But it really made me realize that I know so little about certain parts of world history. And I sort of have always thought of myself as being a history person and having all this knowledge of, I guess, just European history in the back pocket. But but I knew nothing about the, the events that she was talking about. So that was really fun for me. And I have to say, Istanbul has for several years been my number one travel priority. So this made me die. I wanted to go so badly. It, this just stoked my travel bug more than I can say. So I even wrote to a friend last night, you, me, Istanbul next year. <laughs> and, um, so we'll see if we can make that happen. But her writing is just so lush and so vivid and so dense as, as you're reading about these locations. And she can really make you feel the brightness of the Mediterranean sun. And she makes you feel this excitement of 
wandering down a, a narrow street while you hear the Islamic call to prayer in the background. And it just is very evocative of a place. And I thought it was very, very intriguing. So I would recommend it. It is Turkish Reflections by Mary Lee Settle. So my first one is Into Thin Air by John Krakauer. And this was published in 1996. So I'm guessing some of the people listening have already read this. But if you haven't, you should because it is so, so good. Uh, it is about John Krakauer. The author is a, a journalist. And he was hired by Outside Magazine to report <laughs> on the commercialization of Mount Everest in the surrounding area. And so he, since he was a mountain climber himself, he decided to take a crack at climbing Mount Everest. And so he joined a climbing expedition and attempted to reach the summit of Mount Everest. And it's always a hard trek. I think everybody recognizes that Mount Everest is not an easy thing to do, climbing Mount Everest. But then it quickly became disastrous because a storm unexpectedly cropped up as they were climbing and caused the death of five people in his climbing party. Oh, wow. Yeah. So it's really harrowing. You can feel the cold and just the brutality and physicality of trying to climb Mount Everest. So the conditions were brutal, but also there's a lot of emotional brutality because there's a lot of grief and confusion over yeah. exactly what happened and mistakes that were made that led to the death of these people and what went wrong, what could have been changed. Um, and particularly on his part, I mean, he's reflecting on it because he was he's not just a journalist reporting on this. He was part of the group. So he has a lot of personal grief that he that really comes through in the writing and I don't ever intend to climb Mount Everest that is not something <laughs> that's sort of out there that I think that would be interesting to do one day but this made me feel like I was right there with them it was very detailed but in an easy way to read and so you really feel like at every stage you're with them the way he describes the base camps and the different levels at Mount Everest it's just so clear and you can picture it at the same time as it's so foreign to everything, at least that I know. Mm -hmm. um, and it's very suspenseful, even though even though I gave you the description right there of kind of the overview, even though you know the outcome, it's still completely suspenseful and very haunting as you read it and you, because you know these are real people that, that went through this. And I believe they made a movie out of this fairly recently, but I have not I seen it. I feel like you're right. Anyway. I know they made a movie called Everest, which I think was based on the book, but I'm not 100% positive. Right. That was, that was the one year. I was thinking of. Yeah. So. Um, and that is Into Thin Air by John Krakauer. Was that his first book? Do you remember? I don't remember. I think he wrote a book before on. that called Into the Woods. No. Is that what it was called? About a young man who was from a very wealthy family and he decided to leave it all behind and go to Alaska. Oh, right, right, right. Into the wild. Into yeah, the wild yeah, is what yeah, it was yeah. called. Yeah. Um, and I think that was before Into Thin mm. Air. I think. Don't quote me on that, though. Yeah. Um, but and then he more recently he's written a book last year called Missoula mm -hmm. about campus rapes, which is very topical. So he's a great writer. Mm -hmm. I really enjoy, uh, have enjoyed all of his books, although enjoy is not quite the right word. Right, right. Um, <laughs> but this one in particular has really stuck with me before we started recording. I mentioned I read this when I was in college. I'm not going to say how long ago that was, but it was a while ago. <laughs> it's and, like two uh, years ago. <laughs> so it's, and I still remember exactly how I felt as I was reading it. So that's definitely the mark of a strong book in my yeah. opinion that that it can stick with you for that long so into thin air by john krakauer very cool uh, my next book is the shababa murders by lynn hamilton and this is a fiction book 
but it's about tourism, so I'm including it. It's the first book in the Laura McClintock Archaeological Mystery Series, and I think this is a really fun series. It's about a woman who is able to go to locations all over the world because she runs an antiques business in Toronto, so she's always scouting for for goods to to sell in her shop. So there, that means going to all kinds of exotic locations and, and kind of delving into the history of, of these um, these cultures. So it's perfect for me. I love yeah. it. Um, in the first book, Laura is uh, recently divorced and she's lost the business that she shared with her husband. And I will give a minor spoiler alert. She gets a new business so that this series can continue. So don't <laughs> worry too much about her. She gets um, a phone call from an old friend who is an archaeologist archaeologist in Mexico and he says that he's on the verge of a great Mayan discovery and he invites Laura to come help him um, and visit Mexico and to to help with this mysterious find that he doesn't really describe over the phone this maybe isn't the most believable part of the book since why would she go why would he ask this antiques dealer to help him instead of other archaeologists I don't know but whatever it's still fun so she travels to the Yucatan Peninsula and meets up with him, uh, or she she plans to meet up with him, but he never arrives for their meeting. So, of course, she's going to discover his body a few chapters later. And this, of course, because she discovered the body, makes her the prime suspect in the eyes of the police. But um, she decides that she's going to try to solve the, the puzzle of this, this great archaeological find in order to clear her name because she thinks that it must be somehow tied to his death. So the mystery itself is fun, but it's pretty standard. You're not going to get anything you know, huge twists mm-hmm. or anything that you're not you're not uh, expecting. Um, but what really makes this stand out to me is the lush descriptions of the Mexican setting and the Mayan cultural information. Uh, Lara spends a lot of time crawling through ruins hidden in the jungle, and that just is very fun to experience for yourself. Since I think most of us maybe won't get that uh, experience. And I think that Lynn Hamilton does an impressive amount of research for this mystery. It's not really bogged down with explanation, but because of, of Laura's career, we learn a lot of, of information culturally mm-hmm. um, due to the action of the story. So it's, it's really fun to know that you're learning about something um, while reading this fiction book. So um, I originally, I think, read this book in college, too, and... Then I reread it a couple of years ago for my book club, and I hadn't really remembered very much other than the setting. Um, but I definitely remember the scenes with Mexican food because they're really, really nicely described. And I wanted to eat tortas more than anything. So um, if you don't know what those are, they're Mexican sandwiches, and you should go get one right now if you can. They're delicious. There's lots of good food descriptions in the book, and it just makes you feel like you're on this kind of mini vacation to Mexico even if you you can't take that in real life. So I I think that it's a a great way to dream of of travel without being able to do it. Although murder, I hope, would not be part of my vacation. Doesn't sound very relaxing. I don't think you'd get home on time. (laughs) Probably not. You might miss your flight. Maybe. So that's The Shababa Murders by Lynn Hamilton. And you said it's a series? It is. How many books would you say Um, Gosh. I want to say... 10 to 12. Oh, good. So if you like it, you have a lot. Yeah, too. she died recently, and so oh. there's there's a limit, which sometimes I, I don't like authors dying, but I sometimes like when there's a limited number of books because some of these series are getting out of hand. I'm well, not going to name names, but they know who they are. <laughs> they know what they did. <laughs> it's so hard to catch up for people like us yes. who want to read in order. Yeah. If you are late. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a struggle. It's a uh, eternal struggle. 
my next one is In a Sunburned Country by Bill Bryson. Ooh, and Bill Bryson. Bill Bryson. He's a very well-known uh, travel writer, mm-hmm. although really he hasn't only written travel. He's written some other things. He wrote a book about Shakespeare. He wrote, wrote yeah, a book about... He does kind of history things. History about, of the world kind of yeah, thing. He wrote about, about America in the 1920s. 1920s. Yeah, 1927, right? One, one so. summer, 1927, yeah, yeah. about all these events that happened over the course of... I think one year, but mm-hmm. that were really concentrated in one summer. Mm-hmm. But I've actually only ever read his travel books, which I read, I think, almost all of them. So uh, awesome. he's really funny. He's sort of like your crotchety uncle or something. <laughs> like he sort of looks at things from not always like Rick Steves is like positive. Right, everything, right. You know, and he, this, he, this, this is not is a learning experience. Yeah. Yeah. But, so yeah. Um, he has a very conversational style. So you really feel like you're getting to know him as well as his travel Mm -hmm. experiences Um, but they're really funny and this book was from 2001 he traveled all over Australia and writes about his adventures there and he is convinced that Australia is the most dangerous place on earth (laughs) because there there are more things that can kill you there than anywhere else so he's always on guard for like all these things that could kill you it's everything from like poisonous snakes uh-huh. to sharks to spiders to jellyfish um but then just there the desert you know if you got stuck in the desert that could kill you there are ferocious riptides in the ocean so he's oh like oh my gosh I never every, about around this. every corner there's something dangerous just lurking yeah um so that adds kind of something funny because you're picturing him being very cautious as he right. goes around but then what he finds is he Everywhere he goes, he encounters very friendly, warm people. Mm-hmm. And so his experience it shows him the best and quirkiest parts of Australia. So mm-hmm. even though he goes into it saying it's this dangerous... And I mean, it's all in tongue-in-cheek, right, you know? Right, right, um, But it really shows how much Australia has to offer because it's such a huge, huge country right. uh, that it they're... It's so diverse in what it what it offers. It's really engaging and witty. And again, there's a strong sense of what makes up the people and the continent. So if you haven't been there, it makes you want to go. If you've been there, it kind of reminds you of your experiences there. Uh, and and I have actually luckily been to Australia. My sister lived there Whoa. for a little while. Um, and but of course, I was I wasn't there. I think I was there for a week, and mm-hmm. so I only saw a couple of spots. There was no way to get all around Australia. So yeah. there was a lot of it that was new to me, even after having visited. And that's In a Sunburned Country by Bill Bryson. Do you like to read books before you go to a place or after you go to a place? So this one I read after. I actually read on the plane ride home. (gasps) um, Because I I felt like I would get more out of it if I could actually have been there and picture what he was talking about. Um, But then there are others, like I read um, In the Woods, Mm -hmm. which is about him hiking the Appalachian Trail, that... I read before I had ever even like seen any of those areas, I mm-hmm. think. So I don't know. I guess I, I I would tend to say if it's a place I don't think I'm ever going to go or like it's a distant future kind mm-hmm. of a place, I'd probably read it before. But if it's somewhere that's closer to my experience, I would probably wait till after I've been there. Yeah. What about you? Uh, I can go either way on it. I I really like doing research going into a trip. So my family went to Italy several years ago, and um, I had a reading list like you wouldn't believe for them. I think we've touched maybe two books Mm -hmm. in this entire reading list, but... um, I love the idea of going yeah. into it with all this this knowledge, and sometimes I could tell that really was helpful. Like mm. we, we were in the 
or some building in Italy, I don't remember now. And and my mom was like, okay, tell me all about this. And I could just say, well, this this is all Mm -hmm. the stuff you need to know. But then reading like Turkish reflections, there were there was so much detail in the book that I thought I almost would want to have this with me. So Mm -hmm. as I'm walking around this neighborhood, I could look for these things Mm -hmm. that she's noticing. So I can see the benefits of both. But yeah, you can't have it both ways. You can't read it for the first time and read it for the first time after you're after done. It, so, yeah. Luckily, there are so many books about these places. That right. Usually you can kind of do both, where you read ahead, read while you're there, read once you come right, home. Right, right. It's fun. It I love fun. I love travel books. I know. Okay, right. so my last book is Paris Letters by Janice McLeod, and I'm going to give a disclaimer because Paris books are a dime a dozen. There are a billion books out yes, there. Yes, I almost about, got a Paris book on mine, and I right. took that off the list. Right, they're, it's just... They're, I'm not going to say too many, but there are a lot of them. And they essentially all tell, this, tell the same story of, aren't the French so wacky? And it's so hard to be an American here. And uh, the crazy things that I've experienced. Um, and so that kind of makes them all meaningless to me. So they're, it's also really popular right now to write self-discovery while you're traveling books um, or oh, memoirs. My <laughs> <laughs> well... Uh, I'm sorry for what I'm about to say then, because um, usually I don't really like them because I think they assume a level of privilege that most people don't have. They always sort of have a smugness to me that I find very obnoxious. So I know there are exceptions to that, and I don't begrudge those people their experiences, but sometimes I feel like everyone is trying to attain that when it's a pipe dream for 90% of the population. So um, so having said that, on the surface, this book will look like both of those things, but it's really not. So I'm including it for a very specific reason, which I'll tell you in a minute after I tell you some other stuff. So uh, the, on the edge of our seat. Yeah, that's this podcast all the time. So Janice McLeod uh, worked as a copywriter for an advertising agency in Los Angeles, and she was very fairly successful at that. She she includes a little bit of detail of the campaigns that she worked on, and they're actually things you recognize. Mm-hmm. So um, she uh, had been doing this for a few years, and she was talking to a coworker, and they both started to to sort of feel like their lives were stagnant, and they didn't really have anything that would. Um, I'm not going to say they didn't have a reason to live because that's extreme, but but sort of this, what are we doing this all for feeling? So she started to to sort of wonder what it would take as far as money goes to um, travel for a year. And she sort of fixated on that idea after a few conversations about this and started to actually calculate an amount and, and, um, and plan this out. And she decided that she was going to quit her job once she had actually saved up that amount of money. And I can't remember, it's been a, a couple of years since I've read this book, and so I don't remember how long it takes, but it's not overnight. It's mm-hmm. not like she just has this ready stash of, of mm-hmm. savings that she can pull from. And it takes many months at the very least of mm-hmm. saving to to do this, and she systematically sells off her possessions to, to mm-hmm. fund this trip. So I want to say it was a year, but I, I don't know for sure on that. Well, um, I w- there's another book that I considered talking about today, and I'm not going to remember the title, but we could put it in the show notes because I can find it. They're about a couple that decides to spend a year on a sailboat traveling around, uh-huh. and they took five years to plan Holy it cow. because they really had to look ahead like at their career and, right. all, and their house they were planning on I think renting their house I don't think they sold it but there were all these steps that they decided to take and I think the wife was reluctant to do it and the husband was more excited about the prospect so it mm-hmm. took a little bit of it was like each stage like well let's just get to this point and then decide if we want to do move yeah. forward let's get to this point and that's what got the wife more interested in yeah idea. anyway but five years it seemed like a lot wow. but it made sense to me it was like right. that ratio of that much time to take a year off right anyway but yeah. I don't know how long your book yeah I can't I can't remember now but 
I'll, I'm, I'm not going to say I'm going to look it up because I'm not going to. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so she does, she, she follows through, she does this and, um, she, she saves up so she can travel for a year. So, so her plan is to meet or is to go to different locations because she can't stay in a country without a visa for, for very long. So I think it's three month stints in various locations across Europe. So her, for her first stop is to go to Paris. And basically as soon as she gets there, she meets a butcher who is a Daniel Craig lookalike and, um, they fall in love and he turns out to be Polish. And since he doesn't speak English and she doesn't speak French, then they have this very awkward, but very sweet romance together. And she, because of that, decides that even though the Paris um, trip was supposed to only be for for three months, that she's going to actually stay there and try to live there permanently. But she realizes that if that's what she's going to do, she has to earn some money. So she has this background in art and she starts writing illustrated letters that she sells on an Etsy shop and, and sends back to the United States. And so there are all these little kind of vignettes of living in Paris with, with the borders illustrated and they're really gorgeous. If you if you can look them up online, then um, they're they're really charming and just makes you want to be there so badly. So if this had, honestly, I don't remember the parts about Paris all that well mm-hmm. because they're, every Paris book is the same to me. So um, if it had only been about an, ex, an expat living in Paris, I probably wouldn't have cared about this. But I think that it's really stuck with me because I liked that she decided she wasn't satisfied with her life and she made concrete plans mm-hmm. to change that. And she even gives really good ideas about what you can do to to change your life, um, whether that's to move overseas or to travel extensively. And she gives a list of 100 ways to save money. And obviously she has some amount of privilege to be able to do this because she works at a job that is that pays her enough that she can save. And she mm-hmm. has some, to me, kind of funny ideas of, of ways you can save because she lives in L.A. And so she goes to a lot of events. So she, one of the things she talks about is using like the gifts you're given uh-huh. as as ways to get by uh-huh. until you you don't need that stuff anymore and I'm like most of us are not getting swag from <laughs> Hollywood events but you know that's different um, but most of the ideas I thought were really smart and realistic ways that funds can be found so I think that for many of us we talk about the joys of travel and mm-hmm. we talk about it as though it's the stream that is sort of in the distance and I think more often than not, we should be able to actually implement these things mm-hmm. and, and say, I'm going to do this. Mm-hmm. So um, so I really liked the book for that. I thought it was it was fun to read a travel book that was more about the getting there than mm-hmm. the being there. Mm-hmm. And I have, I have two siblings that have moved overseas. And so it's it's cool to see how they've done it in mm-hmm. their own lives. And mm-hmm. it's something that people can actually do. Mm-hmm. So um, so I really liked it. It's, it's just a charming book. Mm-hmm. And it's called Paris Letters by Janice McLeod. While you were talking, I looked up the letters that you were describing, and they are gorgeous. Yeah, aren't they cute? Yeah. She's very talented. Yeah. So my last one is All Roads Lead to Austin, A Year-Long Journey with Jane by Amy Elizabeth Smith. And the author is a literature professor in California and decided to take a sabbatical where she would spend several months in different Latin American countries seeing if and how Jane Austen's novels would translate to different cultures. Ooh. So she formed reading groups in each place she visited and then met with the locals to discuss Austin's stories. And I don't remember the time frame. I'm guessing it was about three months in each place. Mm-hmm. I think she went to maybe four different places. Um, and so they would discuss, say, three different books monthly. Then then there were some repeats in the different countries. So mm-hmm. she say she went to Uruguay and... Peru or something and there you know they would both read Emma in each of those places mm-hmm. so she could compare even within Latin oh, America cool. 
the different. That's a good idea. Yeah. And I'm making those countries up. I don't remember offhand where she went. <laughs> so it's a little bit like Eat, Pray, Love in that she's traveling around and kind of it's sort of the same thing you just described. Like she wasn't satisfied with her situation. And so she decided to, to take on this quest. But it has the Jane Austen aspect to it. So and in fact, the author finds herself in a bit of a romantic situation that reflects a Jane Austen story. Ooh. It's really interesting. As I, or I thought it was really interesting as I was reading it because this is her actual life yeah. and she's doing this project. And then at the same time, her life sort of followed the path oh, of a Jane wow. Austen book. So it's kind of interesting. But it was the, the to me, the most fascinating part was the different groups that you get a feel for the differences between each country and the different locales. And then also the similarities that exist, no matter what your experience is, as far as on a personal level. So what they were talking about with the different characters from Jane Austen could have been anywhere, tiny village or big city, it didn't uh-huh. matter. They, were char- they all recognized characters from the books that reflected people in their real lives or were similar. And so it was a really just lovely story. And particularly for people who like Jane Austen, I think you would enjoy this, but really anybody who enjoyed um, any sort of travel, it, there's a good balance of the Jane Austen aspects and also what her experiences mm-hmm. are uh, traveling to these different countries and kind of living there for a few months. It's not a week here and a week there. She's really settling into a yeah. place for a while. Um, and that is All Roads Lead to Austin, A Year-Long Journey with Jane by Amy Elizabeth Smith. That sounds very cool since there's a lot of travel books. Sometimes they seem just so out of our comfort zones, which is sort of the idea of travel. Mm-hmm. But but it's sort of neat to have a book where you have the Jane Austen, mm-hmm. if you're a fan, that will draw you in mm-hmm. um, and and make things a little more familiar to right. you. Right. Know, and so. that was her her expertise was mm-hmm. Jane Austen. So she had some comfort there, but then was putting herself in some uncomfortable positions right. by going to these new places. So I really enjoyed it. Yeah, that. it sounds really cool. All right, so we will be right back with what we are reading this week. Anne, what are you reading this week? Uh, I just finished reading a book called Black Dove, White Raven by Elizabeth Ween. And I thought about including this as an armchair travel book because it takes um, place overseas. But um, the it's actually a historical fiction book and the characters aren't really tourists. Um, so it didn't seem to quite fit the parameters I had set for myself. But the locations are very vivid. So it's a really beautiful book to read. And it's about two teenagers named Amelia, who is called M throughout the book, and Teo, and they're the children of two American female stunt pilots in the 1930s, and their mothers call themselves Black Dove, White Raven as their show. And they perform at air shows across the United States, but because Amelia's mother is white and Teo's mother is black, then they they experience quite a bit of discrimination, and they sort of have this dream of leaving the United States and finding a place where they can have a better life um, without handling those kinds of experiences. So Teo's father had actually been Ethiopian and his mother Delia had always wanted to go there and and sort of um, allow her son to have this experience of being with his people and, and not always being the the person that was being judged for his his skin color. So so she just she had this very strong attachment to it uh, mentally. And they they also felt really drawn to it because it's the only at the time it was the only or or maybe ever I guess the only African nation that had avoided colonization and so there was this sense that it would just be a better place for for the family, um, so they're planning on moving there but then Delia is killed in a tragic 
plane crash and M's mother Rhoda is despondent and really the only thing that can get her to start living again is to work on this dream of moving the family to Ethiopia. So they they work at it and they get there and they um, all three of them fall in love with the country and they're treated as, as equals and they live this really peaceful, carefree existence. While they're there, Rhoda works as a doctor's assistant and she also flies people across the country and takes pictures, takes aerial photographs for magazines and sells those those for um for money so uh, when she's doing that she usually will take em and teo with her and they're just captivated by the green plains and the mountains that they they see and it's just this lush gorgeous land but of course that can't last because they never do and um Rhoda's estranged husband randomly shows up in the picture and he has, is actually a member of the italian military and he uh, italy had colonized Somalia, which was, I can't remember which direction. I don't know my geography well enough, but but uh, it's neighboring to, to Ethiopia. And they had been there for decades. And he tells them that he's going to take back the plane that she's flying, which he technically owns because it's about to be requisitioned by the Italian military who is planning to move into Ethiopia. Mm-hmm. So with this threat of war looming over them, Em and Teo are pulled into the conflict in unexpected ways and their friendships and their loyalties are, are tested. Um, but because this is Elizabeth Ween, um, there's a lot of flying in the book. Mm-hmm. She's the same author that wrote Codename Verity, which I've talked about a couple of times on this podcast, and I really, really love her writing. And she's very fascinated with airplanes during this time period of, of uh, pre-World War II and World War II. And it would be easy to feel like this is the same. This could be the same book as Codename Verity with similar themes, but she's such such a strong writer um, that you don't really feel that way at all. You just are are entranced with the way that she talks about friendships and how they're tested and, and the way that they sustain people when terrible things are happening in your life. So I just I love her her books. I think they're great. Um, this was another book, um, like the book on Turkey, that reminded me of how much I don't know about the world. Mm-hmm. I had no idea about this conflict. I had no idea there was a war between Italy and Ethiopia. So um, when I was reading this, I spent a lot of wormholes down, mm-hmm. um, or rabbit holes, rabbit holes, I should say, um, on Wikipedia, just trying to link to all mm-hmm. these different events that I had no clue about. So so I love historical fiction for that reason, that it, it really helps you to learn about things that that could seem dry, mm-hmm. but it really brings it to life to you. So, so I, I recommend it. I think that she's a great writer and that is uh, black dove white Raven by Elizabeth Ween. All right. Well, what I read this week was year of yes, how to dance it out, stand in the sun and be your own person by Shonda Rhimes. And Shonda Rhimes is the writer and executive producer of three super successful television, television <laughs> shows. She basically owns Thursday night. Um, <laughs> and I have to say full disclosure, I don't really watch any of those shows. Mm-hmm. I had watched a few seasons of Grey's Anatomy when it first came out and then scandal. I watched a couple of seasons and sort of dropped off and mm-hmm. how to get away with murder is the other show that I watched a few episodes of and then stopped. So I'm not like a huge Shonda Rhimes. Right. Well, there's a lot of violence in, in both of those yeah. shows, and we both have issues with right, that, right. so I've and had the same experience. Yeah, I just, I don't know why, they just never really, like, I liked Grey's Anatomy probably the best out of all mm-hmm. of them. It's, now it's been on for 11 years or something yeah, like that. I, can't I, believe I couldn't still stick on. with it that long, so <laughs> I have too short of an attention span or something. Anyway, but the, the only reason I'm commenting on that is to say I don't think you have to be, like, a huge Shonda Rhimes fan or fan of her shows to get something out of this book she's also a single mom to three kids and it really seems like she would have it all she's so successful she's well known she gets to run these three shows or Mm -hmm. write and run two of the shows then she's executive producer of the third show but one thanksgiving she's with her family and she's telling her sister as they're preparing the meal about all these invitations that she's getting to various events in hollywood and she's basically trying to impress her sister is what she's trying to do (laughs) um by saying you know look at all these 
invitations I get. And then her sister asked her if she said yes to any of them. And she said, oh, no, like, I'm too busy. No. Mm -hmm. And her sister kind of mutters to herself, well, you never say yes to anything. And so... Shauna thought about it. It really struck her. And she went home and started thinking about that and then realized it was really true that she never says yes to anything and that she was basically unhappy. Um, She was laying in bed thinking, I need to change something because my life is so closed in. Mm -hmm. And um, so she decided for one year that she was going to say yes to everything she was scared of. And after embracing the idea, she really found that her life and her attitude improved. And it was everything from big things to small things. So it was accepting an invitation to speak at a commencement speech for her uh, university, which, oh gosh, I think it was Dartmouth. Mm-hmm. I think she went to Dartmouth. I don't know. She w- Anyway. Ivy League. Uh, yes. And she, and she doesn't like public speaking. She doesn't like being in front of people. And so that was really big. And there was an invitation to the White House that she accepted. But then also to saying yes when her kids asked if they wanted if she would play with them Mm -hmm. and she realized it meant so much to them and it was really only 15 minutes out of her day what mom got boring after 15 minutes it's not like they wanted three hours of her time one of the things I really liked is she recognizes how privileged she is and she talks about how it doesn't serve anyone well when rich famous people pretend like they don't have help Mm -hmm. in taking care of their kids because then it seems like oh, look at her. She's mm-hmm. running TV, three TV shows. She has three kids. She doesn't have any help. And then here I am and I'm struggling to do this. And she it, it makes it look too easy. So right. she recognizes and comments on the fact that she has a nanny who basically she couldn't live her life without this woman. Um, and that the, this nanny takes care of her. And her it's funny. Her mm-hmm. nanny's name is Jenny McCarthy. Um, <laughs> not the Jenny McCarthy that we know. Um, but anyway, so it, it's very honest in the way she talks about how she leads her life and and she doesn't diminish what she's going through just because she is successful. Mm-hmm. Um, but And she talks about as soon as she started really being successful and making some money, there are friends of hers that suddenly she realized weren't as good of friends because they wanted money from her when she wouldn't give it to them. They were com- very cold to her. And oh, so wow. she was, I don't know, it's, you know, different struggles than what, what other people might go through, but still struggles. They're yeah. still valid. Yeah. Um, anyway, so no matter what your situation is, I think that there are really nuggets of wisdom to take from this book. I think anybody can kind of look at their lives and think, what choices could I make that would improve my life or my health or my mental state? For her, one of the things she had to say yes to was becoming healthy. Mm-hmm. Um, she was overweight and she really needed to look at why that was and and I'm a person who I can find myself thinking it's easier to say no to things Mm -hmm. than yes and so I don't know after reading it it, it's sort of inspiring in a way to to think well what my life could I do could I say yes to that's scary or not comfortable Mm -hmm. Um, and I've heard I read it as a book but I've heard the audiobook is really good that she reads it oh cool Um, and so if you're an audiobook fan you might want to try it as an audio Um, That's Year of Yes, How to Dance It Out, Stand in the Sun, and Be Your Own Person by Shonda Rhimes. All right. So that's it for us this week. Uh, Anne, do you want to go back over what we talked about? Yes. I talked about Turkish Turkish Reflections, a biography of a place by Mary Lee Settle, the Shibalba murders by Lynn Hamilton, and I'll spell that because it's weird. Um, Shibalba is X-I-B-A-L-B-A. Paris Letters by Janice McLeod. And what I read this week was Black Dove, White Raven by Elizabeth Ween. And I talked about Into Thin Air by John Krakauer, In a Sunburned Country by Bill Bryson, All Roads Lead to Austin, A Year-Long Journey with Jane by Amy Elizabeth Smith. And what I was reading this week was Year of Yes, How to Dance It Out, Stand in the Sun, and Be Your Own Person by Shonda Rhimes. 
If you want to get in touch with us or give us feedback on a suggestion or topics that you'd like us to discuss, you can email us at wellreadpod at gmail.com or find us on our Facebook page or on Twitter at wellreadpodcast. Please rate and review us on iTunes or your other podcast provider of choice. Our podcast is engineered by Adam Farver and our theme music is Kitten by Poddington Bear. We keep all of our show notes at beaufortcountylibrary.org slash wellread where you can find a listing of every book we talked about in this episode. And Anne has recently changed the formatting of the show notes so it makes it a lot easier I think to find which book we talked about when. I know if you're listening to this in the car and then want to go back and find a book that we talked about um, I think that the format makes it much easier now. Sort of a Thanks to my sister Elizabeth for giving me the idea and telling me your show notes are crazy. (laughs) Thank you Elizabeth. Um, All right, so thank you all for listening. Happy reading and have a good week.